As a business leader, have you ever struggled to keep your team engaged and motivated? Have you found it challenging to build a strong company culture that values and recognizes the hard work of your employees? If so, you're not alone. The good news is there is a solution. OC Tanner has been helping organizations like yours for almost a century by providing personalized employee recognition solutions to improve workplace culture. Their insightful expertise, elevated employee experiences, and intuitive technology fuel thriving workplaces and improve business results. By partnering with OC Tanner, you can create a positive workplace culture where your employees feel valued and appreciated, do their best work, and want to stay. So if you're looking to build a stronger and more cohesive team, head over to octanner.com slash C-S-E-A to learn more. Thanks to OC Tanner for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Adrian Tan Show. I have been away for some time and really happy to be back to podcast production. And today's topic is very much centered on why someone may want to trade their six-figure salary to help others progress in their career. And my guest today to share more with us on this is Mr. Dalen So. He has more than 10 years of experience working at the intersection of technology, design, and marketing. Dylan has worked with organizations across different industries and skills, including a 2.5-year stint, launching his own e-commerce venture as a design and marketing lead. Dylan was also previously Razer's global e-commerce architect for the online shopping experience, part of the team responsible for driving global direct e-commerce sales. He has led design initiatives focusing on optimizing average order value plus lifetime value, increasing site visits to sales conversion, and lowering churns for the million of site visitors and shoppers every month on Razor.com. He was also part of the digital product design team of Aviva Digital Garage, working as the Scrum product owner. The team develops and tests new insurance ideas and services which make financial services more tailored and accessible for customers globally. Hi, Dylan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Adrian. Thank you for having me here. Before we begin, could you help us to understand what exactly is this six-figure job that I can definitely guarantee a lot of Singaporeans would COVID for? Yeah, I would first say that it is something that I got by also partially because of luck. And it was because of a recruiter I worked with at that point in time. So to give a little bit more context, I was made redundant from my role because there was a merger happening between my company and another company at that point in time. So I was a communications manager. So when I was talking to the recruiter about options, she felt very strongly that I had the necessary skills to be in the tech industry. And I was also quite surprised how she was able to negotiate like more than an upward increase of more than like 30% of my salary from my current salary then. And I think that was also good for her because she also managed to get more commission in the process. Oh, absolutely. But more importantly, she felt I had the skills to be a product manager and it turned out she had the foresight more than I did. And I um, actually joined the Aviva Digital Garage team then. And that was how I actually managed to clinch a six-figure job. I think maybe towards the end of this podcast, we can also add a show note to link everyone to this recruiter. He may also <laughs> find him or her interesting. She has unfortunately moved to London. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Unfortunately <laughs> yes. for all Singaporeans. So from there on, of course, you did, You move on to Razor mm. and subsequently you decided to tap out. 
and become your own boss. How did that moment come about? What actually was the key or initial trigger moment that made you realize, hey, maybe I want to do my own thing? And also, why specifically in UX training? Yeah, so I've always been doing training, even when I was in a job itself. So I was invited to teach for one of the market leaders in Singapore, and I was their UX trainer for a while. Some of their part-time courses as well as like their intro sessions. So I was teaching UX for up to the point where I left Razor about three years already. So at that point in time, when I left Razor, I, I needed a break. So I went for a sabbatical for about four months. And it was during the sabbatical, I was deeply thinking about what I would like to do next. And I just stayed open to different opportunities. And it seemed like the opportunities that found me was actually more related to teaching. So I actually started as a solopreneur. And these were because of the teaching opportunities I was given by contacts who heard about my name and knew I was like looking out. And that was how I actually ended up building a business around this new user experience design. Could you just expound a bit on that? For UX, obviously, it's not just centered on product. It can mm. cut across many different facets of life. Where are some of the use cases, common use cases that people will expect or would see UX actually in action? Yeah, so I'll share the most relatable use case. As Singaporeans, we really love shopping and we love shopping online, especially during COVID. So you notice a lot of apps and a lot of online retail stores are actually running promotions. Yep. So in, in those use cases where we're shopping online, it has to have a very smooth experience in terms of getting to know about the product all the way to checking out from the website itself, all the way to the delivery process. So I looked at all those elements when I was at Razor itself, and not just for the Singapore market, but for the entire global market as a whole. So I think in terms of that specific experience and specific use case, uh, it actually helped the business to make more money when I optimized certain pieces within this user journey or user experience. So let's say, for example, if initially the checkout flow, if, if let's say it was complicated, right, it will actually deter people from completing the purchase process. So by optimizing the checkout flow, for example, it would actually encourage more people to check out and thereby increasing the conversion for the business and thereby actually having business, tangible business impact on the business, bringing in more revenue from that digital channel. So that's one particular use case. And one of the other things about e-commerce is that if we're using apps like Shopee or Lazada, you also notice that Shopee and Lazada gives a lot of rounds and, and cashbacks and promotions. And those are all mechanics that are part of the user experience design. And it's actually something to help engage us as customers to come back to the platform to, to buy stuff, to shop for stuff. And like an interesting nugget would be if you notice they run a lot of sales and things like that during the midnight hours. And that's research has shown that it's actually where we have the least willpower. And because we have lesser willpower, we tend to buy more stuff. So it's about little things like that actually helps to the business impact and the business value. Now that you mentioned it, I do have a tendency to buy without thinking just before <laughs> I sleep. So I think definitely it, it makes sense there. And I've also seen, of course, which I prefer 
a bit more versus others. I remember when Uber was still operating yes. in Singapore. I love the user interface. I love and when they left and then I'm left with Grab, I'm like, ah, so complicated. And I was reminded of how it's how Uber has that nice, elegant UX when I recently mm. travel in Europe. And w- when it comes to all this UX, of course, you don't really see a lot of fantastic UX across the industry or across your day-to-day. I would mm. imagine it might be a case of prioritization. And people will just think that, I a user interface I can own self-do. Like, I just put a button mm. here, put a button there. Your day-to-day and given your vast experience, what are some of the most common or maybe one most common good boy mistake when it comes to UX, be it whether it's on a hard product or even on a a piece of software? With your experience of using Uber itself, right, that actually is the effort of a product development team, including product managers as well as user experience designers who think very deeply about how to implement a great experience to lower the friction for using the app itself. So in general, I would agree with your comment that in terms of user experience standards, it's something that we have a lot to catch up versus say the Silicon Valley. And in Singapore, I think it's more of a systemic problem. And this systemic problem partially is contributed by the lack of good skills training uh, in this arena and this space, and also the lack of contextualizing this skill training for people who are already working, adults in the industry, and how they can actually apply it in their everyday work, for example. So as we were speaking about UX earlier, I mentioned for e-commerce, it's not just the digital experience. Sometimes it's also like how your parcels get delivered. You know, do they notify you beforehand, before they deliver to your house, just in case no one is around, for example. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. A common challenge that many business leaders face is how to keep their employees motivated and engaged. If your team is feeling disconnected or disengaged, it can impact productivity and retention. Fortunately, there's a solution. OC Tanner is dedicated to creating meaningful employee recognition solutions for companies all over the world. With their innovative tools and services, you can celebrate the accomplishments of your employees and teams drive performance, and build a sense of community. Thousands of the most respected organizations around the world rely on OC Tanner software and services to help their people thrive at work. The results? Improve morale, increase productivity, and reduce turnover. So if you're ready to take your company culture to the next level, visit octanner.com C, that is S-E-A today. Thanks to OC Tanner for sponsoring this episode. So imagine... Good UX designer or processes or even approach is somewhat like WD-40. It reduces the friction and of course try to smoothen (laughs) the process of moving from point A to point B or basically taking that action that you want your users or your prospect to really consider. And how would good UX training come into play to basically apply all this understanding to ensure that the outcome goes to what we have discussed so far. Yeah. Curious Core, the company I started, has been around for more than three years and we've been training people who are professionals who are interested in this space. So they came and they paid the cost fee on their own as well as corporates who actually allow their employees to come join some of the programs and they do short training with us. So when we're talking to people who are not 
traditionally, as you would say, responsible for the design, right? Maybe they're not web designers. Maybe they're not software engineers. They are, these people are like in marketing. These people are in operations. So the way that we actually work with them is that we try and contextualize a little bit about how UX can be applied to say marketing, right? This is how you can use uh, in your marketing campaigns. If you're building a marketing landing page, this is how UX plays a role and we make it very tangible and actionable. And many of these companies, they just have to improve the existing experience. It's not like they had to do anything from scratch. They just have to improve on it. And a lot of times they don't improve on it because either they're not about the data that's around it, like they, maybe they hardly take a look at the Google Analytics data or any trackers that they install and to see how people are behaving on the website, for example. Right. So it's just about showing them, hey guys, it's actually very easy to take a look at all these data and to make micro adjustments so that you can improve the overall experience. But as we mature along in, in user experience or building products, digital products or digital channels in general, you can actually use it in, in, in more ways than just improving an existing experience. You can use it to innovate an entirely new channel. You can use it to innovate and create an app experience, for example. These use cases are a little bit more strategic for the businesses itself. So that's that's something we're also trying to help some of our clients move towards too. When we look at going into a new career, we will be concerned about a few things. And the first one would be, do I have the prerequisite for it? You mentioned earlier on, people may come in with no marketing design and all that. Mm. Would that actually be a make or break situation if I'm say, I don't know, been doing admin for the past 20, yeah. 30 years, would I have the requirements necessary to become a good UX designer? I wouldn't have a blanket statement and say everyone can be a UX designer. Neither will I also say that, hey, take a two-day course or take a three-day course and you can become a UX designer. And we never market ourselves as that. And we never promise people that's what they can do. In but I believe that we have actually created a program that could help a good percentage of them become UX designers. So we've actually helped people. You don't usually associate in the design industry. For example, we've helped someone who used to be an accountant, worked in a foreign bank before, transition into a UX design role into another bank, right? A local bank. Uh, we've helped someone who used to be a teacher, right? Teaching mathematics at the JC level to transition into a UX role. And she, her first role she landed is with an agency, a local agency doing different system integration projects. So we've helped people with very unusual use cases. And that kind of suggests to you, I would say partially is because they're great students. I think they put in the work, they put in the effort to learn about this new trade and they were really earnest in also their salary expectations. So they kind of like uh, were willing to take a slight pay cut to get into the industry. But at the same time, I think it's also partially because our program uh, provides that career support and that career guidance and coaching, which helps them to, to feel a little bit more confident during the interview process itself so that they were able to differentiate themselves from other candidates. Five years ago, when I was doing outplacement, back then the flavor of the month was data analytics. Everyone, mm -hmm. every mid-career, mid-level career switcher wants to get into data analytics because the entry pay is the highest. 
among any other jobs that was out there. Back, this mm-hmm. was back in 2017. Yeah. So the next thing that I would imagine a lot of listeners who might be slightly keen in this would be, so what's the entry pay for a UX and what's the progression <laughs> salary for yeah. a UX designer? Yeah, I would say it's definitely lower than a software engineer. So if you want to make a lot of money, you can consider engineering. But I would say UX, you, the topic of UX is good because it's not just about the salary, right? It's also the job satisfaction that you get from it. A lot of our students come to our program because they, they get to use both their left brain and right brain. So they get to be critical in the way they think, but they also get to be creative in the way they think. Some of them come from professions where they don't get to use their creativity much or they don't get to think very much when they are designing, for example. In general, the pay scale starts about, I'll say something reasonable would be about three to four thousand five Sing dollars every month. And this is very dependent on whether this is a small company or a bigger company or a funded startup, for example. But as they progress along within three years to five years, it could go into the range of seven to nine thousand Sing dollars per month. And this is not even a manager role, right? We're talking about being an individual contributor, just being a senior in your role itself and having a very good portfolio. So definitely, I'll say the barrier to entry for being a UX designer is lower than that of an engineer. And the preparation time is also probably shorter, which is also one of the reasons why it explains like why it got so popular as time went by. So from maybe from data analytics in your time, it has now been is now the flavor of, of the month. I like the fact that allow you to use both sides of the brain because in another example, I would imagine, say we take, for instance, salespeople. Now, salespeople require you to knock on doors, talk to random strangers in hope of converting them to your customer. But if you're an introvert and you need a lot of time to decompress, to recover from a conversation, I don't think sales role is suitable for that person. <laughs> Likewise, if, like you said, yes, if you want more money, you can go into software engineering. But software engineering, again, may not allow you to really practice that sense of creativity. Uh, perhaps accounting, creative accounting, <laughs> will allow you to do a bit more, not that it may be the right thing to do. I think people have to, of course, take that into consideration as well. I'm also aware that you are an SG Tech partner offering the first ever career conversion program in product mm-hmm. management in the industry. Now, for listeners who may not be aware, what exactly does SG Tech partner means? What is career conversion program? And since this is on product management, not on UX, which we have been talking since the start of this mm-hmm. podcast, how different is this compared to the UX aspect? Yeah, we started a conversation with SG Tech, which is one of the largest trade association in the in, in, in the tech sector over here. They've been around for a very long time. I think it used to be called SITF, if I remember correctly. We had this conversation with them for a couple of months, and they are also very aligned with us in terms of helping to uplift the local talent base to help them get trained on real skills that the industry, especially the tech industry, demands. One one day out of curiosity, I decided to go on LinkedIn and I went to to find out like how many UX design friends I have and how many product manager friends I have. I was very surprised because it seems like from at least from my own LinkedIn network, I have more product manager friends than UX design friends, which is surprising because I've been teaching 
UX design for so long and a lot of UX designers connect with me. So I was like, oh, this is fascinating. I wonder how they got trained and how they prepare themselves. So we went to talk to um, many of them and we went to talk to the leaders in the product management sector. And we realized there was actually a gap in the sector because they mentioned to us specifically that many Singaporeans lack the skills for doing product management. And what is product management? Product management is whereby where you are a leader for a digital product, whether it's an app or website or e-commerce website, for example. And then you're supposed to manage the roadmap for making this product successful in the commercial market, right? You're supposed to manage the strategy, manage the roadmap, lead your designers and your developers to success. So it's a more commercial-driven role, but also requires UX design skills and also requires product management skills. So when we were, when I realized there was this gap talking to the industry leaders who said, hey, we, we can't hire too many Singaporeans because they're not sufficiently trained and we're hiring from Indonesia, we're hiring from India because these markets are really big and huge and they have a lot of startups and these startups offer like a good training ground for their local talent. What ended up happening is that some of our local startups started importing talent from India, started importing talent from Indonesia. And I recognize it as a systemic issue, just like UX design. And I was like, why aren't we training more Singaporeans to take on such roles? It's not like they don't have the competency for it. So I went to talk to SG Tech and they were very interested to get behind it. And we partnered up together to launch a career conversion program. So what it essentially means is that it will help someone who was not a product manager before uh, convert to the role of being a product manager. In, and some of the use cases we've seen is maybe they are an IT company, like a system integrator. They do projects for other people. Maybe they are a startup, right? They, are, they offer like software as a service. So they need a product manager. And these are local companies, local Singapore companies, right? That want to hire Singaporeans. And through the CCP program, they are able to hire Singaporeans at a subsidized rate, right? So there's some subsidy component involved and also subsidies in the cost fee itself. So that was last year and we ran two pilots for it. And we helped place about like 15 product managers with like at least a one-year contract in in their existing organization. Uh, and then now, because of the decoupling between Workforce Singapore as well as Skills Future, so the training component and the salary component is now separate. So we now run a product management intensive program that's under the WSQ framework. I hope I'm not alienating too many of your regional listeners, but it's like a government subsidy. I imagine a lot of our foreign listeners obviously would be salivating at hearing all this because based on my understanding, a lot of countries don't have that kind of support when it comes to reskilling, upskilling their citizens. And it's yeah. definitely something we should definitely appreciate about what our Singapore government has provided with. And of course, it would definitely help to lower the friction for companies to consider hiring locals who may not be trained at first, but with the intention to become a UX designer. And over this training program, gear them up, coach them up, train them up to make sure that they are able to perform at the highest level. The other thing, of course, would come into play is with the salary support, which definitely every company would appreciate as well as the employee because mm. without the salary support, all these things 
would not happen. But also on the other hand, the salary support would only last for one year, which then would mean that the employee would be fighting against everyone else on fair playing field. And one of the things that I also take into consideration is the fact that a lot of jobs, a lot more jobs right now can be done remotely. We are seeing companies looking at designers, software engineers from Indonesia, from Vietnam, especially so because of the cost structure. Do you Mm -hmm. think Singaporeans may retain that competitiveness when everything's become equal and you have to fight against the likes of a UX designer from Vietnam, from Thailand, etc., who may only cause a fraction of what Mm. Singapore UX designer is asking. Yeah, I think cost is always a consideration. And as a business owner, I can also empathize with cost sensitivity, especially right now, it's an economic climate, which is very uncertain, right? It's very understandable to have jobs going out to the region with talents that are offering their skills, maybe not great in, in speaking the English language, but be like sufficient technical skills. I think in terms of having Singaporeans compete, I don't think Singaporeans should compete at that level at all, right? Because it's a race to the bottom, right? Whoever can charge the lowest, let's just hire this person. I think Singaporeans should compete at other levels. And what I mean by that is that we should compete at innovating. We should compete at actually building world-class products which I think we are very capable of doing so. Just looking at a company like Grab, even though it started in Malaysia, but quite a number of its core team members are from Singapore and its product team members are also in Singapore. Or even a company like Carousel, which is regional as well. The founders are Singaporeans and they are able to go regional. So I think we should all aspire to go higher and build better products and innovate more rather than compete on cost itself. So how do learning about product management or product design unlocks this value for people? It's a question I think about a lot, and that's how we want to train our people as well, right? How do we help them to innovate? How do we help them to get products from like zero to one and to launch them into the market successfully? How do we help more Singaporeans just be as competent with these product managers that the product leaders are importing from, say, Indonesia and India? How do we get them up to speed as quickly as possible? I do believe that we have the necessary competence. It's just that it's just a matter of training, like good training, good contextualizing and reskilling and help and good career coaching, which, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Adrian. I think it's just important to note that there is a market for people willing to pay more money for better service, better products. Otherwise, I dare say maybe Xiaomi phone right now will be the market leader, <laughs> but they're not. It is Apple phone, which is getting yes. a what, 30, 40% margin yeah. for every phone that they sell. Exactly. So ultimately, good design, which definitely has to come from innovation, not just simply paying the cheapest dollar to someone mm. in a developing country to help you do the design work. And with that, I think it will really help uh, a lot more Singaporeans to look at different kind of options and perhaps to just give us an additional outlet to practice and to hone our creativity skills over and above what already exists in the form of artists, in the media space, etc. And for people who are keen to learn more about this UX designer future, the training academy, etc., where can they go to? Yeah, they can visit us at curiouscall.com. And depending on when this episode is released, you may or may not see our new website. It's something we're actually working 
working very hard to get launched somewhere in the middle of this year. All right. Awesome. And with that, thank you so much, Dylan, for coming onto the show to share more with us about UX. I've learned so much and I hope the same happens for the listeners as well. Thank you so much, Dylan. Thank you, Adrian. I enjoy my time being here. And that's it for this week's episode. Before we sign off, we want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, OC Tanner. As a business leader, you know that one of the biggest challenges is creating a positive workplace culture where your employees feel valued and appreciated. That's where OC Tanner comes in. Their award-winning recognition solutions are designed to help you celebrate the accomplishments of your employees and teams, drive performance, and build a strong sense of community. Your employees will feel more connected to your organization, which can result in increased loyalty and reduced turnover. So if you're looking to create a culture of appreciation in your organization, head over to octanner.com slash C, that is S-E-A, to learn more. Thanks again to OC Tanner for sponsoring the show. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.